Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, weekly conversation on all things legal. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, as always, I'm glad that you've been able to set aside uh, this quarter hour to be part of our conversation here on Chicago's Legal Latte. Today we have a topic that will be, uh, I think, of uh, great value to many of you as we are going to take a look at unemployment claims. Uh, talk a little bit about the process and how to uh, defend them, react to them, uh, and maybe look at both sides of the equation. Uh, joining me is Lavelle Law Limited Attorney Lance Zebel, and with his help, we'll aim to provide you a little better understanding uh, of the process and, and maybe just get a general overview of the topic as well. So first of all, Lance, I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. No problem. Um, a lot of things we want to talk about, and uh, what I'd like to do is just kind of, first of all, get an overview. Uh, unemployment, obviously, has is, is, is driven headlines for several years now, and, and it looks like uh, you know, recent reports show the numbers of people filing is trending downward a little bit. We, we've still got a long way to go. As we talk about unemployment and the unemployment claim process, um, just give us a general overview. I mean, obviously there's a program in place, and, and I think it's correct that all employers sort of pay into a fund to to prepare or to, to handle uh, unemployment claims. Is that how it works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the state maintains a central fund, and every every employer pays into it and uh, though that number of the percentage they pay is ultimately adjusted by how many claims they have and how much is paid out okay so if it's driven by the the number of claims and obviously uh, i'm sure that people want to take a look at uh, as an employer how they how they handle them and what they do if they receive a a claim against them. Uh, you know, what, what's the starting point? If I'm an employer and, and a former employee has made a claim, um, you know, what are my first steps? Well, usually, what will end up happening is first the employer's terminated, and then they go and they file their claim with the their local unemployment office. At which point, the unemployment office will send notice to the employer and say, "Well, you have an opportunity to protest this claim." Uh, and for a variety of reasons that we can talk about a little bit later, uh, an employer may choose to do that. The critical piece for the employer there is if they do intend to protest the claim, they have to do it within the time limit set, and I believe it's 10 or 15 days uh, of mailing of the notice. And the reason it's important for the employer to protest if they're going to in a timely fashion is that gives them appeal rights throughout the process and makes them a party of record. If they don't do it timely, they can still participate, but they're not able to contest things on the same level as if they timely file a protest. So that's the absolute first step an employer has to do is determine if they're going to protest, and if they are, make sure that they get it in in a timely fashion and are citing the right sections of the Unemployment Insurance Code to protest that particular claim. Okay. Now let's talk about that. In fact, it's interesting you mentioned the time parameter there for the employer. One of my first questions was going to be for the employee, is there a certain amount of time after they're terminated that they have that they are eligible to to make a claim? I don't know too many employees that wait too long. Um, Generally, I want to say it's about a year is where they kind of start freezing you out because they start looking at, uh, I guess as a practical matter, there's probably no time limit, but 
is a re- reality is they look back at your previous year's wages. So if you haven't worked for a year and you file for unemployment, there's not going to be any un- unemployment to pay you because you won't okay. have any wages to base it on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's let's talk about the the process that you started to define there as an employer. <clears throat> where you, you have that uh, initial period when you after your notification when you can. Um, you know, take certain actions. What what are some of the things that might uh, cause an employer to um, to dispute or challenge a claim that uh, comes into them? Well, generally, and there's a few other ones that are very detailed, not within talking about in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the two primary reasons an employer would contest unemployment are one, the employee voluntarily left. Uh, in other words, they quit and now they want unemployment. That's not something, we'll talk about that more, but that's not something that's necessarily the employer's fault. The second reason you might protest is if there's some sort of misconduct involved, and that could be as easy as, you know, they stole from the company and committed a felony, or it could be some violation of company policy uh, and, and on down the road. So it's generally either they quit or they did something bad. Okay. Now, when you talk about employees um, who who would file, is is virtually any employee who's been terminated eligible, or are there just certain uh, restrictions that might apply to a certain type of worker? Well, that's where you get into the entire process of every person that is separated from employment is technically eligible to make a claim. Now, are, are they ultimately entitled to unemployment? Maybe, maybe not, just depending on what the circumstances surrounding their separation were. But certainly plenty of people just quit their job and then go file for unemployment. Now, if you don't protest it, they're going to get it. Um, If you do protest it, then you may have grounds to challenge it, and they won't get unemployment. And would protesting a claim be a fairly common practice? Is there an advantage to an employer to just more often than not protest just for the for the purpose of doing that, or are most claims pretty clear-cut? I think most employers have a pretty good sense of it, um, it because, again, the two primary reasons that uh, you would protest, you kind of know off the top of your head. In other words, well, I know the person quit, I didn't fire them, um, or I know the person was fired for doing something wrong. Now, obviously, there's a lot of gray area in there, and that's why attorneys practice in this area, but from an employer's perspective, they have a pretty good sense of whether they need to protest or whether, you know, okay, I laid 10 people off, uh, it was a job, and, and it was an employee, employer-related decision just based on economy right now, uh, you know, I don't really have a ground to challenge it at this point. Okay. Now, in those instances when someone does choose to protest, uh, you mentioned that they get the notification from the state that the claim has been made. Uh, they have a time limit to do that. What's the process, though? Is, is there just a, a simple return? Does this go through a, a proceeding? Uh, is an attorney required? How, how does it all work? Well, the protest form can be filled out by an attorney, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my suggestion usually for people is if it's pretty clear-cut, you can do it yourself. If it's not, you might want to talk to an attorney just to make sure you're fitting yourself in in the right <clears throat> category. 
but let's assume you make the protest. You send the protest back to the Department of Employment Security. They will conduct an investigation. They will talk to the employer. They will talk to the employee and get all the circumstances surrounding the separation. Then they'll make an initial determination, and they'll say, yes, this person is eligible. No, this person is not eligible for whatever reason. Uh, and they'll usually cite a section of the act and go from there. And then the employer and the employee get a copy of that. At that point, you have the right to appeal the determination that the Department of Employment Security has had. This is usually where I get involved. Um, if you appeal, you have a, usually a telephone hearing 99% of the time in front of an administrative law judge. You have testimony and then another judge-made determination is made, and you can keep appealing after that, but that's the primary focus of it. Now, during that appeal process, does the uh, employee begin receiving their payments, or is that all on hold until the appeal process plays out? If they're found eligible, they will start re receiving some payments, and then once the it goes through the appeal process, then it's either terminated or they're found not eligible from a certain date. If they are found ineligible initially, they don't receive anything, and then they're appealing to basically get back pay, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So so really an appeal can come from either side, then employer or employee? Correct. And again, it's time-driven. I think it's 30 days you have to file. Okay. Uh, well, we're getting some of our information from uh, Lance Ebel of Lavelle Law Limited today on Chicago's Legal Latte. We're, we're talking about uh, unemployment claims um, nice to be able to get uh, into a little bit of detail here, and I think business owners uh, are going to find some value on this. Now, um, when we when we talk about um, you know this this process, you, you mentioned a hearing generally over the phone. Um, you know who who is it that's making the determination? Is that someone from the uh, IDES that sits in and, and makes the ruling? It's an administrative law judge that's okay. technically attached to the IDES, but they're not like an official IDES employee. It's not the person at the IDES or anybody affiliated with them who made the initial determination. The initial determination is basically by an IDES employee. Then you start going through different layers of court-type involvement with judges. Okay. Um, now, you know, one of the things that, frequently comes up on, on the podcast series here with, with uh, any of your colleagues as we talk about different uh, topics is, is record-keeping and having documentation. And it sounds to me like we're heading down that path again here, that if, you know, as an employer, uh, you never know how things are going to turn out with an employee and you find yourself in a situation here, it's, it's probably best to have some documentation. Just as a general rule, then, as you're running your business, what, what sort of things should be well-documented in case that you might need them in a situation like this? Uh, some of it varies depending on the employee, to be honest with you, and the reason they may have been, for example, terminated. If they were tardy all the time, do you have records of you know all the time that they were tardy? Um, if there was some incident or several incidents, do you have warnings, written notices, that kind of thing? I mean, usually the, the big thing that I usually put in evidence, if the employer has one, and they should, uh, is an employee handbook that outlines the company's policies. Um, if you have the handbook and you have some good records about tardiness or infractions of company policy, you've got a pretty good groundwork laid to go in and say, if, for example, if a person was uh, fired for misconduct, you've, got, you've laid a pretty good groundwork. Uh, on the flip side of that, if you have an employee who quit and is now saying that they're fired and they submitted a resignation letter or 
anything like that, that's great to have too. Uh, so it just really depends on the circumstances surrounding the separation. And I guess theoretically that would be the same for the employee then too. I mean, they, they should at least have some copy of records or anything that, that might have taken place that uh, would represent uh, you know their position in it as well. Absolutely. You know, if they have, you know, there are there are cases where employees quit, but it's for a reason that's attributable to the employer. And in those cases, they are eligible. I mean, kind of the classic example is my employer didn't pay me and I quit. Well, that's going to be something that's on the employer. That person, if they have the right records, is, going to, is probably going to be eligible for unemployment because they didn't quit their job just because they felt like it. They quit their job because of something that the employer did. And generally, uh, you know, as we look at uh, a company, small, mid, you know, large-sized company, no matter what it is, um, it, you know, it sounds to me like, um, you know, this is fairly routine, part of normal normal corporate governance that uh, that they would take care of this. Anything else that we should, you know, give a, a business owner uh, advice on here or give them uh, indication that they should be aware of or be prepared for in dealing with unemployment claims? I think for the most part it's pretty routine. Where people tend to run into problems are <clears throat> when you get into the investigation part and the employee is telling somebody something that's not totally accurate. I've done a number of these hearings in the last couple of years, and you know, two of the biggest issues that come up are the, the employee that kind of just doesn't show up for work. And at, at what point are they considered quitting, and at what point are they considered fired, and so, again, this kind of goes back to your comment about the record-keeping. You've got to be tight with all that stuff. Um, but past the kind of odd situations, it is fairly routine. I think where most employers trip up, to be honest with you, is one of two places. One, they don't submit things in a timely fashion. Then they lack the ability to really contest the unemployment. The second place where they make a mistake, and I've seen this quite frequently, um, is they check the wrong box. They put the wrong section of the Unemployment Insurance Act in there, and now you're kind of fighting about an issue that's really not an issue, and you you go through this process of, well, that's not really the issue, and that can be a very sticky thing to try and hash out in a hearing. Well, as Lance mentioned earlier, uh, 15 minutes here, just not enough to cover this topic, but I thank him for giving us some time today to get as far as we did on it. I uh, always appreciate him taking time to join us. And uh, looking ahead, we've got uh, some great topics coming up, uh, a number of things we'll want to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. So I hope you'll continue to join us here uh, on Chicago's Legal Latte. We'll talk about temporary resta- restraining orders, how they might be used by an employer against a former employee who uh, may be violating an employee agreement. In our next conversation, Matthew Sheehan will join me for that. And once again, thank you all for being here. We appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again soon. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.